Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. I'm Bob Mendelson, and this is the Bob's Your Uncle podcast. Thanks for joining me today for episode 4.6, that's season 4, episode 6, where Deborah Fuller from the University of Washington comes back to share much more about viruses and whom can we trust anyway. A great interview. Stay tuned. You can now find us and comment to us wherever you get your podcasts. Tell us what matters to you, what triggers your joy, what bothers you in the world. Let us know. We'll see where the spirit leads us. Wherever you are just now, whether you're out for your evening constitutional, or you're here in Australia, or back in the United States with friends, or all by yourself with your headset on, hey, wherever you are, thanks for joining us these 18 minutes. Of note, the opinions are strictly my own and those of my guests. On this date in history, the 24th of October in 1861, the first transcontinental telegram was sent via the telegraph in the United States, effectively bringing to an end the Pony Express. In 1945, the Charter for the United Nations, the world's premier international organization established at the end of World War II to maintain world peace and friendly relations among nations, entered into force this day in 1945. In 1992, the Toronto Blue Jays defeated the Atlanta Braves to become the first team not based in the United States to win the World Series. And for our continuing study of viruses today, in 1632, Dutch microscopist Antony van Leeuwenhoek, who became the first to observe bacteria and protozoans, was born. And that's the historical marker of the week. We now return to our interview with Dr. Deborah Fuller from the University of Washington. A virologist, loves her study of vaccines. She was the go-to woman on Bloomberg television during the pandemic, COVID-19. And I'm privileged to have met her with my wife when we were in Turkey in August. She's got just so much to share with us, especially about trust. So we rejoined the interview for this part two of two with Deborah Fuller. 
Professor of Microbiology at the University of Washington, Associate Director of Research at the Washington National Primate Research Center, Director of Virology and Immunology Corps. For COVID. It's pretty phenomenal. I'm thinking of Galileo. I'm thinking of Edison and what oh. kind of um, machinations they had to uh, to carry on and deal with in their exactly day. you know there's always uh you know naysayers in 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 the world I, I remember when the first vaccine or the history of the first vaccine that was ever developed was smallpox and uh you know uh against smallpox and there is this this um this uh artist rendering of the, the first anti-vaxxers came about with the first vaccine that was ever developed and they, you know, made some claims that if you take this vaccine, because the vaccine was actually initially uh, developed from, from cowpox, right? Uh, they took like some, um, you know, material from the, uh, from, from uh, cowpox and actually injected that into people and that would protect you from smallpox. And it was really uh, a uh, discovery by, uh, you know, a, a British scientist, uh, Edward Jenner, who observed that milkmaids who would work, you know, uh, milk the cows would get all these sort of, you know, nodules on their hands, but they were, were resistant to smallpox. They would never get sick with smallpox. So he hypothesized that they must, whatever they're getting from this cowpox must be protecting them from smallpox. So he did, he did a lot of observation, then actually did what today would be an unethical experiment. He actually took one, uh, you know, uh, one of, um, uh, I think one of his maid's children and inoculated the kid with uh, with cowpox. And then later, a few weeks later, came and actually injected smallpox into the kid and then actually saw that the kid was protected. And that was the very first vaccine that was ever developed. It spread worldwide. Smallpox was a horrible, uh, you know, uh, epidemic back in those days in the 1800s. And, and so uh, pretty soon people started to adopt it and use it to be able to vaccinate themselves against smallpox. And now today, of course, we eradicated smallpox. But back in the 1800s, the anti-vaxxers emerged and they said, well, if you get injected with this, you're going to start growing cow parts out of your, you know, and they had pictures of people growing udders and cow ears and things like that. And there were people who really believed that, you know, so, so, and, and, you know, when I saw that picture, I remember thinking that is so outrageous that people can kind of where the people's minds can go that they actually kind of imagine that sort of thing. But then during COVID and all the anti-vax things that came up, the, the fantasies that people came up with as to what mRNA vaccines are going to do, that there's a microchip in there and, you know, and Bill Gates is going to run the world, you know, something like that. There were some outrageous things that were going on and there was a lot of people you know, falling for that. It was just astounding to me, you know, uh, the kind of, you know, fake news that is out there, um, you know, surrounding, sometimes surrounding science like that, that, uh, so you know, it's a challenge. 5G and cow parts are kissing cousins. <laughs> hey, <laughs> let, me, exactly. let me back up to what most of us who are not in your sphere and not in your world what most of us learned in, say, junior high school science classes, this scientific method, very simplified, mm -hmm. make an hypothesis, conduct lab work, including experimentation, observe, and then make a conclusion. Honestly, mm -hmm. ev would everyone who is a true scientist reach the same conclusions after any lab work? What what other influences are on researchers who are called upon to peer review lab work 
that mm -hmm. might help them to reach different conclusions? Yeah, you know, there can be. So, so the scientific process, we think about one person coming up with a hypothesis and then testing it, just like you said, and other people coming up with other hypotheses. But one of the things we have to remember that science builds on the building bricks of scientists before you, okay? And so your hypothesis often is formed not just by what you're kind of, oh, well, that's kind of odd. I wonder what causes that. But because there's other prior work published and out there from other you know, researchers who have reported on things similar or related to that, that you can then kind of pull into your hypothesis. And one of the things about science is that it is constantly checking itself, right? So if I do an experiment and I test a hypothesis and I come up with a conclusion, I publish that paper, I guess peer reviewed, did, did she have the right controls in there? Did she ask the right questions? Is our conclusions in line with what the data or is, you know, a little bit too speculative or, or, you know, pushing the envelope too far? I mean, you get a lot of, you know, pushback on that. Um, but the additional thing that happens is that other scientists then, once your work is published, will take your work and try to build on that. And if that science isn't sound, then you can't build on it, right? So, so it's sort of self-correcting in many ways that, you know, I mean, sometimes you hear about, you know, people may have, you know, uh, you know, some, some science has been, there was some dogma that just got, you know, and some new uh, research has come out that, you know, has refutes that. And that can happen too. And sometimes what happens is, is that, you know, as science progresses, we, we develop new tools to study, you know, um, whether it's a cell or a bacteria or a virus, for example, you know, the um, development of being able to just sequence, uh, you know, DNA or to be able to, um, you know, microscopes, things like that. Every time you get a new technology developed, you can interrogate the question even further. And sometimes that additional interrogation will refute uh, information from before or add to it. And that helps to continually refine uh, the, the data. But what makes me believe in the science and then the integrity of it, and that ultimately it's self-correcting, is that I'm building on these bricks. And these bricks, most of the time, uh, when I test my hypothesis, are panning out to be correct, right? So so it's like, you know, you know somebody gives you a direction somewhere and you get to point B or whatever, okay. And then you have to give that same direction to somebody and say, now you get to point C but you have to use the old stuff for, to get to point B and you still are able to get there, um, then that validates that, you know, the directions that came from point A to point B are, must be true, right? So it. it's, it's self-correcting. It's kind of cleans itself all the time. So, and it's not always right. I mean, there's always can be things that maybe, you know, based on the technology of the day or whatever, uh, you reach a certain conclusion uh, because you're blinded to certain aspects of it. But, you know, in, the, in another experiment might come around where you're able to unveil that and, and reveal more truth, uh, you know, about your discovery. A lot of repeatability is mm -hmm. crucial in peer Absolutely. Yeah, love Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Uh, besides science and the University of Washington, what else makes Deb Fuller enjoy life these days? Do you, do you have any hobbies? Yeah, I do have a lot. I mean, I've, uh, I'm, a, I'm an athlete. I love sports. So I, I'm um, uh, on a master swim team. Uh, so I do a lot of swimming. I started when I was eight years old swimming and uh, and then uh, I actually quit for a while so that I could become a runner. Um, but then, you know, as you get older, your knees give out. So I went back to swimming and <laughs> 
And then my husband and I, uh, we love to bicycle. So uh, so we both have, uh, you know, spent our weekends often just exploring the beautiful Pacific Northwest and our bicycles. Uh, as you know, we love to travel so and meet new people and experience new cultures and discover new things. So uh, so lots of things that, you know, that we just just enjoy doing. The other thing I like to do is actually learn new languages. So, uh, you know, uh, I don't know how many languages I can possibly learn in a lifetime, but if I can add, you know, another one, I'll constantly try to learn new ones. So all the time. So right now I'm trying to learn Chinese because I decided to kind of step out of my romantic language uh, domain and, and, you know, try to learn an entirely different. It's not even our alphabet, you know. <laughs> so, yeah. Great. I'll try to convince you to learn Hebrew. Okay. Ah, there we go. <laughs> Lightning round. First choices: Seattle Seahawks or Seattle Mariners? Oh, the Seahawks. Domestic or international travel? Oh, international. Cats or dogs? Cats for me. <laughs> Coca-Cola or Pepsi? Neither. I don't drink either. I a good glass of wine is always my choice. <laughs> Perfect for breakfast. Okay. <laughs> West Coast or East Coast in the U.S. I love the West Coast. Agatha Christie or John Grisham. John Grisham. Well, there you go. Hey, uh, scientifically, <laughs> did you like the book Lessons in Chemistry by Bonnie Garmus? Did you read that? I did not. No, I was not. You know, chemistry wasn't my thing. Um, you know, I thought I was going to flunk out of my major because I really did not like chemistry. And, you know, it's funny. I married a chemist, of course, but, uh, you know, which is good because, you know, we complement one another. But I, I, yeah, chemistry was a struggle for me. So it was never my, never my thing. <laughs> I'll ask, I'll have to ask Jim if he liked the book. I, I love yeah. it. It's becoming yeah. a Netflix series or something. Uh, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It's, it was a great read for me. I, I enjoyed it. Um, is there anything else you want to tell the Bob's Your Uncle international community? Yeah, yeah. You know, get your get your COVID booster, <laughs> uh, you know, and uh, we have uh, obviously with uh, with the fall here, of course, in Australia, it's actually opposite. It's opposite, it's you know. I want to let you know that actually what happens in Australia influences what happens in the United States. You know, when we develop vaccines, did you know that? And then what happens in the United States influences the vaccine that you end up in Australia for flu. Okay, because uh, the seasons are exactly opposite. So flu season is always in the fall when it starts to get cold. And so we study what viruses are actually going on in Australia's fall. And depending on that sequence, that's then the vaccine that we make for the United States for our fall. And then the reverse happens. So a uh, little bit of uh, trivia for you that uh, that we we collaborate. That's another international collaboration that that's always done. Yeah. Great. Deb, thanks so much. What a what a pleasure to have met you in Turkey and your family. Yeah. Terrific. We had a great couple of days touring together and learned a lot about ancient civilizations and did. up to the Ottomans. Um, no, it was a joy to be together with you. Thanks for the, your time there. And thanks for um, for your time with me today. This is going to be a double episode. There's no way I can trim this down to a single. What you have to tell us is so important. I'm going to make sure that everybody hears this. And so thanks again. Have a great autumn there and uh, the rest of 2023. All right, it was my pleasure. Really enjoyed uh, doing that.
What do you think about all this? Why don't you write me, bobmendo at aol.com, or comment on an Instagram or TikTok to me. I'd love to know what you're thinking. There's been so much difficulty, pain, anxiety, angst, as we watch the television news, some of our friends, some of our colleagues living and working in Israel, we've been watching and regretting that we don't have the power to go in and change things. Oh, maybe if this had happened or that had happened, it would all be different. Friends, what are you thinking about in regards to Gaza? What are you thinking about in regards to global sympathy for Palestine or Israel. Would you write me, bobmendo at aol.com? I'll be glad to talk with you about it. We've all got feelings. Let's deal with those. and Let's see how we can make the world a better place. Every week we read from a portion of the bestseller, the number one bestseller of all time, the Bible. And today's no different from the Gospel of John. The words of Yeshua himself. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let it be afraid. I'll hope to speak with you next Tuesday. Until then... From me, Bob Mendelssohn, when things seem bleak or uncertain, look up to God. He's in his heaven, and Bob's your uncle. Shalom from Sydney.